Well, we're in the, uh, a series called The Elephant in the Room. And to make sure we're all on the same page, an elephant in the room is just that phrase that is referring to this obvious problem. Everybody is actually aware of it, but nobody wants to talk about it because, well, that would just be uncomfortable. Well, last week we saw that the winner of the biggest elephant in the room contest was money. We don't want to talk about it with our family. We don't want to talk about it with our friends. We certainly don't want to talk about it at church, right? There are, there are people who have told Mike before, you know, hey, when we're, when we're done with the finance stuff, I'll be back. I just don't want it. It's, it's a hard topic. Sienna Kosman wrote an article back in 2014 called Three Reasons Why We Hate to Talk About Money. She wrote, since money plays such a big role in everyone's lives, rich or poor, it seems we should have no problem talking about it. After all, public conversations about topics like gay marriage and legalizing marijuana are commonplace. Well, money isn't nearly as controversial as those topics, right? Apparently wrong. Wells Fargo conducted a survey and found that 44% of Americans feel that personal finance is the most difficult topic to discuss, trumping things like death, politics, and religion. Not only is it the hardest to talk about, it's also deemed one of the biggest life stressors. One-third of the respondents to this survey reported regularly losing sleep due to financial worries. And these, finance, these uh, facts, they're not news. In 2013, uh, a poll conducted by CreditCards.com found that credit card debt was the most taboo conversation topic. Financial-related conversations and topics rounded out the other top five in the category. The identical survey was done five years earlier. Same results. Exactly the same results. So what's behind this extensive, ongoing hesitancy to talk about money? Whether it's talking with your spouse or friend or even a financial advisor. I mean, I'm, I met with the guy that I'm talking to my about my retirement, and he's rattling off 403 and 501 something, and I'm just sitting on the other side of the table hoping he doesn't see what on my face, and I'm just nodding right along like that's an excellent plan. I, don't, I have no idea what you're doing. I'm going to eat cat food when I retire. <clears throat> but, you know, bringing up those subjects for a ton of different reasons just becomes this difficult thing that we don't want to have a conversation about. One of the things that uh, is brought up is, is shame. We, we've all heard the phrases, nobody's perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. And as true as those might be, it is very hard for people to admit that they've made a mistake, especially in the area of finances, especially when they feel like they've let somebody else down. Ken Davis is a Christian comedian. Maybe you've seen his videos on YouTube. He tells about being on an airplane, and uh, he, he goes in, he takes and sets his newspaper under his leg, because if you leave it on the little table, you know, the flight attendant might take it and throw it in the trash. He wakes up, and he sees this guy's looking at him across the aisle, and he's like, you you reading that? Well, he asked that to a comedian who said, well, yes, I am. <laughs> he unbuckled his seatbelt, stood up, Turned the newspaper to a different page, set it back down, and sat down on it. <laughs> Here's your sign. We've all done silly things. We've all said things. It didn't work out the way that we thought. That's not what I meant. 
right? But the truth is we are where we are for a multitude of reasons. And some of the reasons that we're here is me. Talking about financial decisions, uh, good or bad or otherwise, makes them feel all the more real. It's not uncommon for people to hide ongoing financial struggles, even major ones. According to Michael Glass, the director of education for Clearpoint uh, Credit Counseling Solutions, he says a lot of people feel shame about the situation they're in. And then by the time they reach out for help, it's at the end of the line. They don't tell anyone they suffer in silence. You know, they, they wait until the problem is not just a problem, it's a crisis waiting to happen. And then oftentimes it's too late to make much sense out of the mess that's left behind. Additionally, some people equate self-worth with how much money and material objects they have as compared to other people. And they feel like when they don't meet those standards, that's another reason for me to not talk about money. Another emotion that keeps our mouth shut is fear. It's fear. Fear goes hand in hand with shame. Talking about financial hardships or admitting to a costly mistake opens the door for a conversation that could feel a lot like judgment on the part of others, particularly close family members or even a spouse. Putting it all out there on the table creates an opportunity for negative input from other people. And that just scares some people to death. People have money values and beliefs that they've developed since they were children. And so it's difficult to bring up the topic without dragging up all of the personal baggage that's associated with it. And so we say nothing. No one really wants to fight about money, but we find that it's one of the leading causes of divorce in our country. Sometimes we don't talk about the elephant in the room because we lack confidence, right? We may be even more silent because of our feelings of fear or, or shame. Maybe it's even more when we deal with our lack of financial understanding. In many cases, people don't understand the topics. They don't understand the terms. And either of those issues can make it difficult for us to have a conversation that brings about a change in our circumstances. According to a Pew Research study, 55% uh, of American households spend more than they make every single month. I'd like to read that again. 55% of American households spend more than they make every single month. There's a problem here, Houston. <laughs> we are digging a hole and it's not getting better. From 2015 to 2016, for the first time in history, Americans spent more money at bars and restaurants, 54.857 billion with a B, than they did on groceries, 52 billion. Federal Reserve Board confirmed that almost 50% of Americans can't cover a $400 unexpected expense. We live on the edge. We're ashamed. We're afraid of tomorrow. And we don't have the confidence to do anything different. Kosman wrote, the best way to break a social norm is to defy it. So she says, start talking. She's echoing a proverb from Proverbs 15, 22. It says, plans fail for a lack of counsel 
but with many advisors, they succeed. Randy Posh says, when there's an elephant in the room, introduce him, right? We all know it's there. Just name it. Let's name it and get through it. If you've got your Bible with you this morning, we're going to be looking at a story Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, click on events. It's, I think, on more and then events, you'll find us. Not only is all the notes and stuff in there, there's a ton of announcements about things like Angel Tree, um, the Mexico mission trip. You can actually find that and click that and sign up for the Mexico mission trip. Um, all kinds of information, YouVersion Bible app. Well, we're going to kind of go through the story in, in Luke 16, and you can follow along in, in your Bible, your notes, or your, or your Bible app. I'm going to paraphrase as we go, okay, because I want to connect the story and, and get us someplace. So in verse 1, Jesus told his disciples, uh, this wealthy guy entrusted a financial uh, planner his estate. The money manager did quite well for a while, but then Word got back to the rich guy that uh, this manager was getting a little careless with his portfolio. Verse 2, the rich man uh, responded quickly, I don't like what I hear, he told his employee. Consequently, you're fired. I was going to say, you're fired, but I didn't want to do that. <clears throat> Verse 3, the money manager spun into a panic because he knew he was older he was not looking forward to going back to blue-collar work. He was too proud to beg. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. What am I going to turn? How am I going to make a living? Verse 5, eventually his desperate and scheming mind devised a creative plan. So he went to two of the people, his boss, uh, who owed his boss uh, a lot of money. Verse 6, he tells the first guy, take what you owe, sit down quickly and write it for half of the amount. That's a discount. Verse 7, he goes to the second debtor, take your bill and cut it by 20%. He offered deep discounts to the people in hopes that after he had lost his job, the creditors would think positively of him, maybe even help him get back up on his feet. Well, the manager offered the discounts, the debtor paid their reduced debts, and the manager still lost his job. But in verse 8, Jesus is wrapping up the story, and we all kind of expect what verse 8 ought to have in it, Right? The manager is going to get it because he's a dirty, rotten, sneaky scoundrel who ripped off the master. Except verse 8 doesn't read like that. The guy is commended for his actions. Now, I, I grew up going to church. I don't remember this in any of the flannel graphs. Uh, you know, the guy did all kinds of terrible things. The guy said, that a boy. What? Although it's true that the manager didn't actually pocket any of his master's money, he cheated his employer out of a, a portion of his own money to benefit himself. It's hardly commendable behavior, but that's exactly what the master does. Look at verse 8. This is how Jesus ends the story. The master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. In essence... This guy is saying, I, I, I got to tip my hat to you. You're in a bad spot, losing your job at this stage of life. That's a serious problem. You put some options on the table. You took uh, uh, action. You solved your problem. And you're still fired. <laughs> now, Jesus is not giving us a lesson on ethics. <clears throat> he is talking, I, I believe, about strategic planning. 
that we evaluate a situation with the truth of God's word rumbling around in our head and we do something to make a bad situation better. This is not Jesus saying, good job for being dishonest, right? It reminds me of the story of the, the, the shady business guy who's known for his, his, his bad dealings. He was on his deathbed, so he calls the preacher and says, you know, hey, look, pastor, if, if I were to write a check for a million dollars to the church, do you think that God would see that and, and kind of, you know, let me in? The pastor thought for a moment and said, I, I'm not sure, but it's worth a try. Uh, <laughs> so the point of the story is the guy had a problem and he made a plan to get out of it. Remember, there's all these categories, the dishonest manager, the people of the world, the people of the light, that's us. Jesus is saying, interact shrewdly with your world, as innocent as doves, as wise as, as shrewd as a serpent, right? Andy Stanley says in the, his book, The Best Question Ever, he says, I've concluded that while nobody plans to mess up his life, the problem is that few of us plan not to. That is, we don't put in the necessary safeguards in place to ensure a happy ending. It pretty much echoes Proverbs 21.5. It says, plan carefully and you'll have plenty. So what do we do? How do we address these issues that weigh on so many people? And if not you, I promise it's somebody you know and love. Well, we create a plan. We create a plan. That, per, that verse I just quoted from a different version in the New International Version, it says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to pro poverty. It, did you see that? It didn't say the plans of the brilliant. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. You don't have to be a financial genius to figure this stuff out. One of the reasons that we offer Financial Peace University is so that people can le learn Godly biblical principles on dealing with their money. They can ask questions to people who have been there, done that, and get answers, a, a clear path forward. And if you have questions, in the Bible app, there's a, there's a section where you can click a button and you can email FPU at ExploreMCC. If, if you've got a question, you need to click that. Go ahead. I'll, I'll take just a minute. Go ahead. Okay, well, maybe, maybe later. But part of the principles you, you learn with, with FPU is, is you plan. You're spending your money on paper on purpose before the month begins. One of the things they say over and over and over is tell your money where to go or you'll wonder where it went. There's a question that Dave Ramsey asks. He's the FPU guy. He says it in his books. He says it in video. And it's a question unlike any you've, you've ever heard. Mike has shared this over and over when he's talking about finances. I want to share it with you this morning as well. Dave Ramsey says, how much of your income do you want to live on? The question implies, do you really think, child of God, that God is giving you all these resources just for you? How much of your income do you want to live on? When you make a plan, you're spending your money with intention. Many people who go from no plan to a plan say, it seems like I got a raise. 
And it's really because we're just not squandering our money. We know what's happening. Some, some pointers from FPU that you can pick up is give it three or four months to start working. If you make a plan, you build a baby budget, it's not going to be great right out of the chute. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Spend every dime on paper before the month begins. Overfund your grocery category. They, they find from these expenses that most people underfund that category. If you're married, husbands, wives, one of you's a nerd, one of you's a free spirit. One of you needs to lighten up, and one of you, when the envelope is empty, you stop. If you don't know what all that means, you need to sign up for Financial Peace University. There's a simple plan that we've been throwing out here at MCC for years. It's easy to remember. I'm going to toss it out to you, and then we're going to unpack it. 10, 10, 80. You give God 10%, you give you 10%, and you live on the rest. Now, I know it sounds crazy in a world that is, is making all kinds of things a priority, and, and one of the things it's making is making fun of the church. But tithing is part of God's plan to position you for the blessing that you're so desperately seeking. I want you to know that we don't just teach about tithing the leadership at Miamisburg Christian Church, our elders, our staff, our deacons, our tithers. Why? Because we, we told them if you're going to be a leader, you got no. Part of the reason they floated to the top is because we recognized godly characters being lived out in their lives. We do it because God said so. It's funding the work of the church. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord by giving him your money and the first part of all your crops. So there's a key point that we need to pick up on in this passage of Scripture. It's not just that we're supposed to give to God. We give it to Him first. Why is this so important? Deuteronomy 14.23, it says, The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. You see, God uses our finances to test our faith probably more than any other area of our lives. It's important not because God needs your money. It's important because God wants your heart. And he knows our wallet is his chief competition. It's a tangible way of saying to God, I'm all in. God knows that if we give him back the first 10%, we've placed him before our money and our stuff. This is so important because God won't settle for second place. Kim and I give online through recurring ACH giving. We do it at, at Explore MCC Gives. We set it up once and, and it just happens. If I'm on vacation or, or forgot my check, I couldn't even tell you right now where my checkbook is. It just happens. That's our way of saying, God, before I even have access to it, you get yours. Now, here's not, here, 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 hear what I am saying and don't infer anything, please. I'm not saying that the person who gives the most money to the church is the most spiritual. It's not the way it works. I am saying that many people surrender everything in their lives to the Lord except their finances. And to God, that means I'm still not first. You don't trust me to provide for you or care for me or care, or care for you. So if you're not doing this, does this mean you don't love God? Oh, of course not. Of course not. 
Guys, I'll be real transparent with you. The first 10 years that I was in ministry, I'm telling you not the first hour crowd because they're kind of, you know, mm, but I'm going to trust you with this. The first 10 years I was in ministry, I did not tithe. I'm not standing up here saying that I'm proud of that. I'm actually kind of embarrassed because I think this is the first time I've ever said that out loud to people. I was convinced that I was making such chump change, I could barely make ends meet. And I was doing construction two days a week just to keep everybody fed. And, and so surely God sees that all this time that I'm giving, I've given my life, I'm serving in ministry, that, that's enough. And for 10 years, I shorted God. I worked the extra job and did the extra things because I was saying, if it's to be, it's up to me. And God just waited for me to believe the stuff I was teaching and to live it out. It's hard. I get that. Is this a heaven and hell issue? Of course not. We are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, and that is completely. His last words on this earth were, it is finished. Does this make you less? Absolutely not. This is the stuff we don't want to talk about. Not because God, uh, not because they don't love God, but because it, it, it makes us angry or embarrassed or ashamed or all of the above. And if this is hard for you, I'm sorry. My intent is not to hurt your feelings. I just want to tell you the truth. A lot of people who love God find themselves in situations where they're just kind of blocked and it's killing you. And I want to say again, Financial Peace University is a way, it's a plan. It's understanding the plan until you get it. Then you can take a step and move in a different direction. On the seats around you are little cards. They're the, the giving challenge form. It's not to fill it out today uh, because you haven't prayed about it yet. And, and seeing it on the seat going, oh Lord, doesn't count. <laughs> right? I want you to take it home with you. If you're a family, I want you to talk about it as a family and figure out where you are. If you're not participating in funding ministry at MCC that stretches into our community, into your life, into your kids' lives, and into churches around the world, I want to ask you, start, give something. If you're giving, but you know that you're not tithing, and if you don't know what I mean by tithing, a tithe is 10%. You look at your check, you take the decimal point, you move it over, and that's what you give. If that's not where you're at, and you, you feel that's where you want to be, then I want to ask you to, to do something. Take what you're doing and, and increase it a percent or two. And if you're ready to take a bold step, start to tithe. I hope I can encourage you in this to, to, to see it as a goal. It may take you years to get to where you want to be, but you know that elephant? There's another st story about the elephant in the room. You know how to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Move in the direction of where God wants you to be. So you, you, you give to God. You save 10%. You pay God, you pay you. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Pay God, pay you. The second person you pay is the person second most responsible for your paycheck. You. Put 10% in your savings. What? I can't 
pay the bills. All okay, build some kind of a baby emergency fund. Do something to get a cushion between you and Murphy because he's coming, right? Stuff happens. There are millions and millions of people who work 40, 50 years plus, and they've got nothing to show for it. No plan, no provision for the future. Proverbs 13, 11 says, he who gathers money little by little will make it grow. Maybe you can't f save what you wish you could save, but I want to ask you to start. A dollar a week, 50 cents a week, five bucks a week. You're going to exercise the right muscles. You exercise a muscle and you do it well, it's going to get stronger. Put aside something so that you can be prepared for those unforeseen things. We've got to break the cycle of spending every penny we take in because too many people are spending tomorrow's money for today or at least paying for yesterday with today's resources. we got to discipline ourselves a little. Third, we live on what's left, 80%. And that means our bills, housing, utilities, maintenance, clothing, transportation, food. If there's anything left, entertainment. You may have to get creative here. But those are the priorities. And it's going to take a shift it's not about where you are, it's about where you want to be. It's a plan to get you from where I am to where I want to be. You see, you take a step from where you are today towards where you want to be, and you'll find in a year's time you're in a very different position. This isn't the only good plan. But if you've lived life without a plan... I'll invite you to that one. Try something to break up the monotony of trying harder with the same plan that's gotten you where you are. We have an FPU class that's going to start up in a few months. I, I, I hope you sign up to be a part of that, to get the help that you need, a strategy on paper, ask questions. I don't understand this. Folks can answer those questions. F finally, talk to someone. Your spouse, a trusted friend, a financial counselor. I don't know, I don't know what to say. Okay, S start with, thank you, I appreciate that you do this well. Help me understand. You can ask when it comes to money in general, what was it like in your house growing up? What did you see? Those practices that you observed and lived out when you were a kid, they're woven into your DNA and your decision making. It, it, it may be good or bad, but it is what it is. And then what's your biggest fear or concern when it comes to finances? If you don't have somebody you can ask that question, email it to FPU at ExploreMCC. We'll get you an answer. If you struggle here, get support. Find the peace that God is trying to address. You see, this elephant is in just about every church in America, probably the world. If it's so uncomfortable a subject, why even go there? You see, Jesus spoke more about money than he talked about heaven and hell combined because he recognized it's our biggest hurdle between us and him. But when we take a step in this position, we find balance and perspective and our priorities begin to align with the purpose that God has created us for. And friends, you cannot find fulfillment outside of standing in the space where God designed you to be. Every week, we talk about next steps. This is hard to hear and hard to talk about, trust me.
But I want you to get something. This is not about something God wants from you. This is about something God wants for you. Which leads us to his table. Every week, we stop and remember the lengths that God was willing to go to remind us of his great love. And communion is that way that we say to God, thank you. You found me in a place I couldn't get myself out of, and you bought me back. I've been redeemed through no effort of my own, but as a gift of God. And as we look at next steps, we recognize that the physical suffering that Jesus endured on the cross is monumental. But it is impossible for us to imagine the pain of him experiencing for the first time in history separation from the Father and the Spirit. Please, when we recognize the great gift that this cup and this bread represents, fight to keep anything from moving into the place that only God deserves. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are humbled as we recognize the love that you have for us. And Father, the, the, the place that we find ourselves standing, our circumstances sometimes are, are, are in blessing and sometimes they're, they're in tough times. And so, Father, I pray that uh, as we pause right now and remember you are the priority the relationship that I have with you is the thing. It's the main thing. And when that's right, I am best positioned to face the rest of this life. And so with that in mind, we come around this table and we celebrate what you've done for us. We ask for strength as we look at the week ahead of us that we would not see our agenda, our plans, but Father, we would find yours. That we would live a life that would honor you Help, Lord, our, our actions to support the words that we say when we say we love you. And we ask for strength to these ends through the precious name of Jesus. Amen.